What's up, fandom? My name is Josh. Today, we've got a special episode for you. This is an episode that we actually got to record while we were at Anime Frontier in December. We sit down with a legendary Steve Bloom. It's kind of a group interview, so there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. It may be a little hard to hear some of the questions that are being asked, but we're not the important ones. The big thing is you want to listen to Steve Bloom because it's Steve freaking Bloom. So enjoy. I'm just a voice monkey. I don't know how any of this works. <laughs> so really, uh, my first question is going to be how has the voiceover landscape changed since from when you started to now? Wow, you got like four hours? Yeah, that's why I, that's why I first, you know, get a, uh, Well, when I started, it was a completely different universe, and I didn't even know that I was a voice actor in the beginning, so that was part of it. I, I just didn't even realize that what I was doing could be a viable job. But the industry, uh, everything that we did back then, especially in anime, went directly to video. There was no American TV market for any of that stuff. So uh, everything was on VHS, 85 bucks per episode. It was really, really hard to get. It was also the subbers versus the dubbers. So whenever we dubbed anything in the early days, we got a lot of hate mail. I got my life threatened uh, at conventions uh, by the, the subbers. And uh, so I kind of walked away from all that for a while. It was a little bit terrifying. So now... Uh, so many years later, and with the help of Toonami, uh, now on Adult Swim, uh, it it really made it uh, accessible to everyone in the United States. So, uh, hence, we've got these giant conventions now with people who are loving the stuff. So, uh, it, it made it a much friendlier atmosphere for us, and it also opened up the gates for people who felt like they were on the sidelines and misunderstood or didn't really have a place in the world to come to a place like this and find a global community where everybody's accepted. So that's the biggest change I've seen in terms of the actual industry. It's, it's rough now, uh, probably rougher than it ever was, but at the same time, more accessible to more people because everybody's working from home. So you can literally be anywhere in the world and start a voiceover career. It used to be, you had to be in New York for commercials. You had to be in LA for uh, big animation, Texas for anime uh, in the last probably 10, 15 years. Um, but now you can literally do it from anywhere since COVID. So that was the one blessing that came out of that. And the other thing that's really changed is AI uh, creeping in and starting to show its ugly head. And we're fighting that tooth and nail to try to get control of it now before it gets completely out of control and we're all out of work. Thank you. Thank you. Long-winded question. <laughs> That's just a little piece, too. <laughs> so I have a quote from you. Uh-oh. I can die in a multitude of different ways. Yes. What is the most gruesome way that you had to die, and what was the most difficult death scene for you? Oh, uh, wow. The most gruesome. That's really hard to say because I've died in a lot of pretty gruesome ways. I think the most gruesome is probably in things like uh, Mortal Kombat, where I get my spine ripped out and, you know. <laughs> but oddly enough, that's the, the least gruesome sound effects that we had to make for that. They really don't require us to do that in those kinds of games. I've died much worse deaths, uh, even as stormtroopers in some of the old Star Wars games, when the force, you know, could lift up the stormtroopers and swing them around like ragdolls, that I was those ragdolls as one of three guys who did all the ragdoll stormtroopers. That was brutal. We just had to be up there and go, Bleh! 
<laughs> which at that time was kind of unusual for uh, Lucas uh, because generally they do more subtle deaths in, in the movies and uh, in our TV shows. Uh, so anyway, that, that was just a funny sense of memory for me. Uh, and what was the other part of the question? What was the most difficult death scene? Oh, Ooh. Oh. well, probably Spike. Uh, it probably a tie between Spike uh, from Cowboy Bebop and Zabuza from Naruto. Uh, difficult yet satisfying. Great, great, great death. Yeah, thank you. Just emotionally, except all the feels. <laughs> I care, you guys. Yeah. So uh, uh, recently, I was talking to uh, uh, Jennifer Hale uh, about like AI and itself in, in the voice acting world, like yeah. like. Uh, but she was really kind of got me into wondering, like, how big or how crazy is to, in your in your own, like, how big is the threat on AI uh, for voice actors in, in, in a certain degree? I think it can't be understated. Uh, the biggest issue for me is that there are these disreputable companies that that will give you this giant contract, and somewhere in there, it'll say that they have permission to clone your voice, use that data, and essentially they own you they own your voice you can't even use your own voice for the rest of your life the biggest threat is if they do that i try to use my own voice and they sue me for using my own natural speaking voice because now they're the owners of it because i i might have signed something in a contract that i didn't read so thankfully there is an organization called nava the national association of voice actors who is really fighting hard to uh combat this and get language uh into the uh the mainstream so that people understand it. They read these contracts. They have an addendum that you can actually take and, and submit to a studio if they don't have that language in their contract, particularly in the non-union world. Union, sag after is trying to do that. They're starting to put some language in, but they missed the mark in this last negotiation. For us, the big celebrities are protected for their likenesses, but we're not protected for our voices. We're always the guys that are left behind. Wow. So it is an insidious threat for us. Um, cameo is being taken over in certain sectors by AI. I stopped doing Cameo because they started using AI functionality to create these little uh, you know, GIF things at 20 bucks a pop, putting real actors out of work. And one of my best friends is, is one of the actors that got put out of work by that. And so it's already happening. It's been happening for a while, and it's just getting worse. So we, we just have to be super diligent. And I'm, I'm not so concerned about me. I'm kind of in the third trimester of my career, and I'm good, and I know how to fight it. I'm really concerned about the new voice actors who are coming up who may not know any better, and they are going to get taken advantage of. So that's who we're fighting for. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, on a little more positive notes. <laughs> I know. It's, I'm sorry to be Debbie Downer, guys. Yeah, it's just important stuff, though. Thank you for asking these questions. But also, you mentioned the idea that you're, you're in that third part of your life or career. Um, you started to uh, do voice acting classes and for uh, young voice actors. How did that come about, and did you find that fulfilling? Uh, I didn't want to do it. Uh, I was terrified of it, and I don't like any kind of structure at all. I'm... I'm by nature just a creative. Uh, but at every convention, I found that uh, there were so many teaching moments that I just couldn't help myself because I, I can't stand seeing people getting taken advantage of. And most of us were coming up through the the, the pipeline. Um, so I, I just couldn't help myself. I felt like I had to impart whatever knowledge I might have to, to help the next generation. And the people around me just kept prodding at me to start teaching 
until I finally relented. And I thought, all right, well, maybe I'll do like 10 classes and I'll try to deconstruct everything I've been doing for 30 years. I didn't really know how to teach in the proper way. I was never educated for that. Uh, so that was very difficult for me. And it ended up to be 30 classes. And uh, we just did a little subscription thing and we thought that was gonna be it. And the response was really great. The people around me saw some potential in that and they, they just kept pushing me. And, I thought, all right, fine, I'll do something else. And so I started inviting my friends, the best of the best in the business, uh, because I felt like I kind of ran out of things to say after the first 30 classes. And I also wanted my students to get a more well-rounded perspective. It was only my path, and there are a million different paths into this industry. And that's one of the things that really frustrates new actors is they, they'll take one class, they try to follow that, and it doesn't work for them. So in my classes, I try to give them everybody's backup, backstory. Everybody's got a different path. Everybody's got a different philosophy. Everybody's got a different way of managing uh, and negotiating the pitfalls of this business and the dangers of this business. Everybody's got different vocal techniques, warm-ups, cool-downs, all that stuff. So uh, I see in a lot of these other classes that there are predators who will make promises to students. They give them bad information because they are not professional working voice actors. They might have some theater experience, radio experience, great for some things, but this is a whole different beast. And uh, if you really don't know what you're doing and you're not working in this all the time, you're not giving them current information unless you're sourcing that, which they don't. A lot of these guys don't. The other thing that is really uh, a motivating factor for me is these predators that will promise people work or casting opportunities as a result of their class. It's a lie. And there are a lot of these pay-to-play uh, agents, uh, agents out there uh, who require uh, either a monthly or an annual fee so that they will be in the, they'll put you in the casting pool, which is also crap. Uh, if you're paying for an agent, they're a predator, basically, uh, with very few exceptions. There are some exceptions to that. Uh, but I just can't stand people getting taken advantage of. I want people to have an easier path than I did. And it's a much more complicated world now because everybody's working from home. You have to be your own advocate if you don't have an agent even if you do have an agent you still have to fight for your own career you have to bring a lot to the party a lot more than you used to and another skill set too that we didn't have to have back in the old days we have to become engineers so we all have to have home studios and we have to know how that equipment works uh, and the the final thing is that there are a lot of uh, teachers out there that will tell their students they have to invest in a lot of expensive equipment right away you don't need that anymore. This thing is great for auditions, for getting started, for finding copy. Everything that you need, you can source on this little machine now. So uh, no need to spend that kind of equipment. And I tell them to uh, reinvest once they start making money in, in equipment. That's when you start doing it. So those are the kinds of things that I want to share that I felt really weren't touched on deeply enough for students. Thank you. And it's hard. I hate running a company. It's terrible. <laughs> I just want to do voiceover from a hammock and go to sleep. <laughs> I'm old. Okay. I'm going to say, wow. Your answer is, um, so my friend co-host Chad and I had a conversation about, you know, some of the work you did, right? Mm -hmm. And like, the two characters that you had in common was Wolverine and Moody, uh -huh. which Moody's like my favorite, by the way. Nice. And Thank so you. they had me thinking like, okay, what character that you play they had you go to a dark place to really just embody that character. Because I know like acting and voice acting, they're similar, but not really totally the same. But like, what had you go there? Like, yeah, I gotta be this guy to play this character. Um, 
That's an interesting question. And voice acting and acting, it's the same thing. It is the same thing, really. Emotionally, it should be, it should be the same thing. Yeah. The, the main difference, really, is you're distilling all the facial movements and all the body movements into this. So it's just a more concentrated version of it, really. But the emotions uh, can get pretty deep by themselves. I usually let the writing take me there. I don't really have to psych myself up for anything like that because I have dark side too, like everybody else. Uh, Wolverine, I think, is a very dark character. That's a great example. I mean, um, he's he's broken. The dude has just been through some really painful stuff in his life. So that's easy to draw from for me. It's, it, it lowers the voice immediately. It just makes him a little bit angrier. And uh, I can go to that place on a dime. It's not a problem for me at all. Other uh, dark characters, like maybe Amon from Legend of Korra, that was actually more subtle. So that was oddly more difficult for me. And he was behind a mask. Uh, I When I approached that show, uh, I kind of came at him with uh, I, the first... Uh, first view of him I saw was just a little bit of footage of him on a stage. And I thought he would be this big stentorian kind of guy and the typical evil thing. And Andrea Romano and her genius just brought all of that down. She said, no, make him very soft, soft spoken and, and sure of himself to the point where he didn't have to be loud ever without, you know, to be completely chilling and terrifying. And you know that he could bend your blood and, and tear you limb from limb if he really wanted to. Uh, it's th That's the interesting thing, is the more broad the character is, the easier it is for me. Every creature, every giant villain, that's the easy thing. The hard ones are the subtle ones. Wow. Is that then you really got to tap into something with more nuance, just from an acting perspective. In terms of the emotional stuff, I I'm kind of an emotional guy anyway. I, I can go there, you know, like that. So somebody tells me a story at my table, I'll start crying. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of that. It's good. Thank you. Teach my sons to, to let it all out. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. So you voiced Tom for two nine years. Me and this guy, we love Tom. And we just want to say thank you for putting a lot of us onto anime. Uh, you were the gateway to a lot of anime for so many people. Uh, do you have any anime that you would recommend to maybe a first timer that's going in to watch anime? Well, Cowboy Bebop, of course. Um, uh, these days, everybody's a little more educated, mm -hmm. and they've they've ingested a little bit more of uh, the the Japanese culture and anime lifestyle, the lifestyle that we're all living here. So, for for an old guy like me to tell people what their gateway should be at this point, I don't know. the The only thing I would say about, and I haven't watched a lot of anime, including most of my own, the, the stuff that I've worked on. I've worked on hundreds of shows, and I've watched maybe three or four. Uh, in all these years. So I'm I'm a terrible person to ask about this. <laughs> but the one thing I can say about Cowboy Bebop is that for people who aren't used to watching something that represents Japanese culture or uh, uh, or that style of animation in general that is not afraid to deal with real life issues and sensitive life issues that some American anim animation kind of skirts over sometimes. Um, I think that Bebop is a great gateway because it does have so much uh, American culture built into it and worldwide culture, actually. The music is from all over the world in that show and uh, visuals and little nuances from uh, uh, not only Japanese culture and American culture, but literally everywhere. There's there's French, there's African, there's all sorts of things going on in Bebop. So I think it's a, something that's a little bit more relatable to anyone from anywhere 
to sort of dive into that genre and go, oh, wow. Well, not that it's a genre that we declare that it wasn't. Uh, but uh, to dive into that type of um, product and to be able to expand from there. They'll, they'll find the things they like and they don't like and they'll go off and find, you know, animation with chibi stuff in it or they want, you know, horrific stuff, whatever. But everything is in that one show and it sort of delineates the pathways to other things. So I, I couldn't tell you about the more current animation. I wish I could. Okay. I'm just reading words on Tsunami. They, they feed me everything, <laughs> including the game reviews. But still doing it after all these years. We're on tonight, only Tsunami on Adult Swim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always flying that flag, baby. <laughs> I don't get paid for that. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, uh, so you voiced Wolverine in more of the newer iterations of the X-Men, but coming from <clears throat> like X-Men 97, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what were the feelings of like, okay, I'm coming up and I'm taking over for Wolverine, right? And now you've been like the iteration even up until like Midnight Suns of the game. Mm -hmm. What was the feelings like coming from that? You know, that was a huge iteration for a lot of people. Uh, absolute terror at first and uh, confusion. I didn't know why they picked me. I thought I just got lucky. The, the way I auditioned for Wolverine was really by just letting out the voice that I heard in my head when I was reading the comics. And fortunately, I was old enough and broken enough so that my throat would go down to that place. That's probably scar tissue that does that. <laughs> um, so I was, I was just honored that they let me even try out for it. And I didn't know why they picked me. And uh, they just said they wanted to go in a different direction. And I asked I ask these questions because I care about the other actors, even if I don't know them. And if I had known Cal Dodd at the time or, you know, some of these other people who had been playing Wolverine, I would have contacted them directly and just asked what's going on. Why aren't you doing this? And I still do that with other actors for every role that I play that is, has a history like that. Um, once I really couldn't get any uh, feedback about that, other than they are definitely going in a new direction. They absolutely want to, to have a new person doing this, uh, which started with X-Men Legends. I thought, okay, well, this is fun. And I just dove in head first and I just did the voice in my head. And fortunately they agreed, they had the same voice in their head. Uh, it's really as simple as that. I didn't really have to do anything uh, other than just, you know, look at that picture of Wolverine with the claws and go, yeah, that's, that's it, Bob, it's right there. I feel that, I feel all of it and uh, connected with them enough so that it was authentic for them. So thank you. Hope I get to do it more in the future. <laughs> That'd be nice. And we can never count on that either. There's a lot of actors who, who say, this is my role. And you know, if anybody else takes over it, I'm gonna hate you for the rest of your life. It's not your role unless you create it. So another thing I tell my students at bloombuckstudios.com. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Oh, yeah. I can, I, it's, it's like Tourette's now, I can't. <laughs> uh, so uh, you were just saying like, oh, that's, that's not my role or anything like that, but are there any particular like scenes from like Wolverine or any of your particular favorite characters that you connected with most? Ooh, um, oddly enough, uh, there's a character named JP from the old Digimon days uh, who was kind of overweight and uh, misunderstood and super insecure. That's exactly who I was when I was a little kid, bullied. Uh, so I connected very deeply with that character. And I, I was in the studio, I remember very clearly, I was in the studio and I started voicing him. And his voice is kind of like this. And, and you know, he's just thrilled to be around people who accept him as a friend. Uh, and 
playing that character actually healed something from my childhood. It was amazing. And I was thinking, how does a little cartoon heal me? This is crazy. Mm -hmm. So when, when people tell me their stories about how these shows and games affect their lives, I get it because I did it to myself in the studio. It was ridiculous. You know, with a little, uh, little animated guy. Um, that's probably the one I connected to most deeply. Uh, Spike would be the other one because that was literally life-changing for me. And especially working on the movie, uh, the jail scene with Elektra was a point in my career where I actually had to kind of dig for the emotional connection, uh, which required uh, a certain level of vulnerability that I had never really experienced in my life. I was taught to push everything down and not be vulnerable as a man. It's the, you know, people are going to see you as weak and whatever, but I had to be vulnerable and talk about my pain. And I wasn't quite getting it in the scene. It was such a quiet, nuanced scene that Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, the director of the show, and now my wife, 25 years later, uh, ah, such a crazy world. Um, she had to stop and help me to find that place, to, to open up and, and be completely vulnerable uh, in that moment. And it, it not only changed my acting performance and everything moving forward in that area, but it changed me emotionally as a human being too. And it made me see the value of vulnerability like I was saying, you know, I would cry. And, and that's, that's valuable stuff. you got to address that stuff when it happens. And you push it down, it becomes toxic. And, and I spent a lot of years in that toxicity, and I don't want to be there anymore. So thank you. Sorry, that was probably deeper than you were expecting. No, it was perfect. Thank yeah, you. okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, uh, I was at your panel yesterday, and mm -hmm. um, you were mentioning how, you know, things kind of fell in place for you. Uh, you ended up getting roles. Uh, and... and and into having to work multiple jobs just to support your um, pursuit of my habit, acting. yeah, my voice um, acting habit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever get to a point where it, you question whether or not it's something you wanted to keep to continue doing, or if it was like worth venturing off and, and, and doing that? And if you did, how did you uh, rationally overcome that? That's a great question. Um, yeah, there was a point where I was 40 years old. I had quit my job. I had a six-figure job at a film company. I was an executive and uh, booked the 7-Eleven guy thing. So I was the guy who said, oh, thank heaven, at the seven, end of the 7-Eleven commercials. And I thought, this is it. I finally booked my first big commercial campaign. All my friends are buying houses and cars when they have a big campaign. So I will, too. This is great. Quit my job. And then two weeks later, the union went on strike. And I was out of work for a year and a half. And when... When 7-Eleven came back, they were creative and clever enough to only do regional commercial spots rather than national network. National network is where you make enough residuals so that you can buy houses and cars. That doesn't really exist anymore for most of us. I've never had a campaign like that. Uh, so I'd get like a $400 check for 13 weeks. You can't feed your kids with that. So uh, at that time also, I was 40 years old and uh, I had just quit my job and I was going through a divorce. I ended up on my brother's old bed in my parents' house in the fetal position thinking about all the giant mistakes I had just made in my life. And thinking, oh, there's no way out of this. I'm massively in debt. Voiceover is not gonna pay the bills. I'm still working at anime wages, which was 50 bucks an hour at that time. And I would do five episodes for in two hours. So hundred bucks, no residuals. There's, I, there's no possible way I can make a living out of this. And I just, I remember being in that fetal position for days and just thinking, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with my life now. At 40, I had to make some big, big decisions. But then I, 
I was finally able to come out of that. I, I believe in meditation and meditation helped me to at least get centered and present enough to realize that, okay, this isn't the end of the world. I'm only 40 and anything is possible now. You know, I'm changing everything in my life. So I'm, I'm actually cleaning a slate and maybe I can build on this. And I don't know how I got to that place, but I think it truly was meditation and just trying to, to clear everything out which is why I actually do a meditation segment at bloomboxstudios.com. Uh, one of our classes is, is actually about that, but, but just to help my students to find a way to recenter. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's just as easy as going out in nature, playing with an animal, uh, talking to a, a child, watching somebody laugh. You know, those are the things that can kind of bring you back to what life really should be about. So uh, it was, it became a clean slate. I still didn't know if I could, do anything with this career, but I knew in the, even in the depths of all that, that really the only thing I was doing work-wise, and I had had so many careers that I had tried, uh, voiceover was my only uh, safe place. It's the only place that I really felt like I was good at something. I tried music for a while. I, I tried lots of other things, and uh, I, I was okay at things. I was always a person who felt like I was mediocre at everything. And voiceover was the only thing I kind of excelled at a little bit. It was kind of a B plus. I wasn't quite the A level, but maybe I was hitting B plus on a couple little things. And uh, so I thought, well, why not do the thing that makes me happy? And then I'll just figure it out. I'll just, you know, do all the other kinds of horrible jobs that I've been doing to support this habit uh, and see where that goes. And that's literally what the decision was. And I just kept doing what I loved and did everything I had to to support that. And that's one of the first things I tell my students at bloombuckstudios.com. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the kinds of life lessons that I feel are, are pretty valuable because I've been in pretty dark places before. And I know that all of us go there and, and most teachers aren't willing to really go to that emotional level for liability reasons. I think that's the most important thing. That, that comes before any of the voice acting technique, by the way, in my school at bloombuckstudios.com. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my question was, I know recently the new Final Fantasy VII stuff came out this past weekend. Yep. And it revealed Prince and Valentine. I know you're not voicing him anymore. Right. But, you know, would you have still voiced him to have had they continued on with the, his story or that cast, the original casting for the voices? And what are your thoughts on, like, the new voices now? Yeah, I'm. well, I made it very clear that I was available. All of us did. We were all a little bit hurt that they didn't even approach us at first. Uh, we didn't understand why they were doing it. It was a corporate decision from what I understand. Uh, but again, it's not my role. So I didn't create the character. Uh, and I take a lot of solace in the fact that it's now Matthew Mercer, the, the genius behind Critical Role, who is playing Vincent. He's in very good hands. I'm fine. And, you know, the, I don't know everybody in the cast, but I know quite a few people in the cast, and they're my friends. So I'm just cheering them on. I'm going, go guys, do it. Just you know, try a new thing, see what it looks like. Awesome. It's not mine. So I'm. It, it's very easy for me to let that go. I I definitely feel the feelings when they happen. Uh, we all get butt hurt a little bit, but I'm more inclined to support the the people who do get those roles because you know either they need them or they deserve them. And and Matt Mercer absolutely deserves that role. He's he's brilliant, and I think he's going to bring something really fresh and interesting to it. Thank you. Anybody else? You guys? Yeah. Would you say that it's a very humbling experience for you to be such a foundational part of a lot of people's lives, and especially their introduction to anime? 
you know, it's, you know, it's very hard to find that solace in a group of people and just being a part of that. Do you think that's a complete experience for you? Uh, that's an understatement. Yeah, humbling is, I think, is too light a word for um, the enormity of that. People come to me and they say that I'm the voice of their childhood or, I, uh, you know, what are my performances got them through the death of a loved one or, you know, these really amazing life-changing moments that somehow I had a part in uh, just, you know, from a remote location. We were working in a rubber room. We had no idea anybody was ever going to consume this stuff. Uh it's it's beyond humbling, yeah. Every time somebody tells me one of those stories, it, it hits me really deep in the feel in the feels and um, motivates me to keep moving forward. Because I, my father was a doctor, and for years and years and years, he tra he kept pushing me to follow in his footsteps and take over his practice someday. And I just wasn't built for that. And one of my struggles back when I was really broken uh, was that if I go into voiceover, I'm not really doing something of value. And that was, that was my internal monologue. And I thought, oh, this is really fluffy stuff, but it's literally the only thing I'm good at. And I guess I'll settle for this. I had no idea that these stories would touch people the way they do. So um, it, it <laughs> continually motivates me to move forward and uh, to come to these conventions and to reaffirm that connection with people. And, and when I sit at a signing table, I look every person in the eye and we have a, even if we've only got you know, 30 seconds, I try to connect with them and at least let them know that I hear them. I'm listening to their stories, even if it's exactly the same words that the person before them and the 300 people before them said, if they want to share that experience, I'm going to listen because it changed their life in some way. And by doing that, it changes my life. It makes me a, a better, richer, fuller person. So yeah, that, that connection goes really, really deep. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was like six years old sitting in front of my 32 inch big ass TV watching Tsunami and listening to your voice as I was a kid. At six, so yeah. probably before you should have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, like I always do, please apologize to your parents for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> it's my fault. Look, I was trying to get a bebop by seven, nobody wanted to do it. Wow. Like, nah, it's fine, you can do it. So wow. Amazing. Have time for just one more question. Anyone has one more? Okay. Yeah. I have another fun question for you, and I hope you'll indulge me a bit. Of course. Can we play pretend? Sure. That's what yeah. I do for a living. That's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> you mentioned your father uh -huh. wanted to bring you into his business. Mm -hmm. He was a urologist. Yes. Imagine in an alternate universe where one of your characters is actually a urologist. Uh -huh. Let's go with Wolverine. Uh -huh. Feel free to use the word snicked. Wolverine the urologist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, open wide. All right, I'm going to glove up here. All right, we're going to be very gentle about this. Okay, just take a deep breath. Oh, snicked. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me retract that. Oh. Uh, yeah, we have something for you on the way out. <laughs> that wouldn't go well at all. I mean, he just has a, like a fleeting thought and he could kill somebody from the inside out. That'd be terrible. Oh, God. My dad would be so proud right now. <laughs> That's why you're not a doctor, son. <laughs> that just takes me to some really dark places. Thank you for that. Yeah, you asked how, how to get to dark places. That's how it goes. Yeah, that quick. Yeah.
wash that from your minds, if you will. <laughs> you started. It's early Saturday morning. <laughs> Is that it? We done? Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. All right. Well, hope you guys like that interview. A uh, big thank you to Anime Frontier for helping us set that up. Definitely check Steve out on social at Bloom Spew. We're going to put the links in the bio so you can find him. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Josh L. Kane. You can find the podcast on Instagram at What's Up Fandom. On Twitter at What's Up Fandom. PC for podcast. Check us out on TikTok. Uh, we post some stuff there, you know. Uh, we also are available everywhere that you download podcasts. So Spotify, Google Play, Apple, everywhere. Uh, yeah, next week we've got uh, kind of our normal scheduled programming. So enjoy.